to Cuppa Cubby Blue. Your Jose Abreu signed for three years with the Astros, and the Cubs are definitely hoyering home for Cubs news, updates, and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue, and you can find us wherever you get your podcast by searching for Bleed Cubby Blue. If you like the show, leave us a five-star review in the rating. It helps other people find the show, and they might like it too. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs, Winterland, and how much the Cubs are going to charge you to ice skate on Wrigley Field and more for Bleed Cubby Blue. Danny is off in Mexico celebrating getting married. And honestly, congratulations, Danny. Nicole is the best. I'm so excited for both of you. And I cannot wait to celebrate with you when you get back. But in the meantime, I am joined by a very special guest today. Ken Schultz is a lifelong Cubs fan who has written a baseball prospectus and SB Nation's Outsports. He also has the distinct honor of being the only person I have ever been tisk tisk for talking about baseball at a Cubs game with. How is it going, Ken? It's going well, Sarah. And honestly, with this podcast, if we can somehow anger suburban moms who just want to do the wave, I think we'll have accomplished our goal. So that's what I set out to do. And honestly, I prefer to think of this. I prefer to think of you as the person who sang along to I Want to Dance with Somebody at Out at Wrigley with me. So that was so fun. I had the best time at Out at Wrigley with you. Uh, we we had a blast in like the party land area. And that was also the day that I asked uh, Ricketts about why they weren't going to extend Wilson Contreras, which might be my <laughs> proudest moment. <laughs> I, I was so proud. Like you were composed. You were rational. You were throwing statistics and were throwing rule change ideas at him. Uh, I... <laughs> I my strategy in meeting Tom Ricketts was I'm going to be very polite and very terse because if I speak too long, I'm going to scream fire Jed, sell the team over and over in his face. And that gets nothing accomplished. You were so composed and so good. I, w- I was so proud of you that day too. Um, but we do have to share the story of her name had to have been Karen. Like, obviously we didn't introduce <laughs> ourselves, but she was definitely a Karen. Ken and I are hanging out in the three hundreds at Wrigley field talking baseball like you do at a baseball game. And because Ken and I both write about baseball and podcast about baseball, we have a lot to say about baseball. It's a Cubs game. So, you know, we're just talking about baseball. And I don't even remember what inning it was. She didn't last very long. It was definitely before the seventh inning. So maybe like the fifth or sixth. Oh, early. Yeah, yeah. This suburban woman, like definitely from the suburbs, like turns around and looks at us and says, can you two please be quiet? I'm like, actually, no. (laughs) (laughs) We're at Wrigley Field watching the Cubs game and we're talking about the Cubs, so no? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the second or third inning. Like, it was super early in the game. Because I remember at one point in the middle of the game, you had gone to get a hot dog. And that was, I think, in the middle of the 10-game, first 10-game losing streak of 2021. Have to clarify that, of course. So people started doing the wave and she enthusiastically joined in every time it tried to go around. And I thought, yep, that is perfect right there. Uh, it, it's, I've, I've been told by people to shut up before, but never for speaking about the thing we've ostensibly all come there to see. <laughs> yeah, that, that was wild. Um, but anyway, Ken is a great person to watch a baseball game with. I highly recommend that you should do it if you ever get a chance. Both of us keep score in two remarkably different ways, but I think are able to mostly track what the other one is doing. And and we have thoughts about baseball that we share at Wrigley Field. And today we are going to share them with you, dear listener. <laughs> yes, indeed. It is uh, almost time for the festivist season and in time for the airing of grievances. Let's talk about Jed Hoyer's offseason, huh? <laughs> so as we're about to record, the Zach Eflin deal has been announced. And for those of you who are not uh, like super into hot stove season, Eflin has signed with the Tampa Bay Rays for three years, $40 million, which 
there are all sorts of estimates out there and we can talk about them and where they are and whatnot. But the two estimates that I use the most, I'm going to write a piece about this probably next week. I look at the MLB trade rumors estimates where as far as I can tell, they just kind of look like past contracts and where things have gone, ARP numbers, those types of things that they put together an estimate. And then I also look at the fan graphs list that they do every year and fan graphs kind of crowdsources this, like they get um, insight from their writers, they get insight from their commenters and whatever. And as Eno Saris has written at the athletic, like that fan graphs estimate is like usually pretty spot on in terms of what you can expect for most contracts. So, so one of the, key pieces of news that I think people may not have a ton of insight on this offseason yet is that most of the deals that have happened so far have gone for not just a little bit more than what the market value was supposed to be, but quite a bit more than what the market value was supposed to be. And in the case of Eflin, uh, MLB Trade Rumors had that deal at two years, $22 million. Fangraphs actually had it at 2.5 2.5 years, so, you know, either two or three, but 10 million AAV, they put the total it. So you can think like, uh, you could do like two years for 20 million, or you could do like three years for 30, but you would basically wind up somewhere in that range. You would certainly not wind up in three years and 40. I'm hearing it's the largest free agent deal that the Rays have ever signed. And if you had told me before this offseason that the largest free agent deal the Rays had ever done was going to be for Zach Eflin, I would have laughed at you. <laughs> But it's not just Eflin. Jose Abreu signed for literally more than the extension that the White Sox gave him three years ago. Anthony Rizzo signed for more as well after he opted out of his contract. All of these deals are coming in pretty far above what the market thought they were going to. And I got to tell you, Ken, this spells bad news for hoyering and intelligent spending, at least to me. What are you thinking? First of all, I'm thinking that I love that you've turned hoyering into a verb. Like that's, that should catch on across Cub Nation as far as I'm concerned. And a verb that is defined as something other than crushing my soul, which is also appreciated because that's what hoyering has meant for most of the past year and a half. It's, I mean, so you're telling me first and foremost that the era of biblical losses is at its end. And I, I suppose that means the raised spending is the sign that we're in revelation. So that's probably a good sign, maybe. Uh, I, I think I'm talking like, and my, if I keep uh, punishing this metaphor any further, I'm going to become Scott Boris. So I should probably stop right now. It's interesting, isn't it, that we have, I mean, on a minor scale, the Pirates made like their biggest signing of the offseason uh, about a week and a half ago, their biggest signing ever, I should say. And now the Rays are doing their biggest. And we've had one big market team in Houston, and they are now, like I think we can officially say, they are definitely big market, actually enter them, uh, flex their big market muscles to get Jose Abreu. And as we're going to be discussing soon enough in this podcast, with the number of holes the Cubs have and the amount of payroll space that they've got under the fake salary cap of MLB at this point, there's no reason not to start flexing their big market muscles and start signing a couple guys and giving us a few reasons to maybe get excited about a position other than wherever Nico Horner's hotness is going to play next year. <laughs> Look, the biblical losses, at least as far as the Cubs are concerned, are well and truly o- over. I just walked by Winterland and Gallagher <laughs> Way. It is like 20 degrees in Chicago and that place is bumpy. And if, if you read my last piece, you know, that you can get into Winterland for $5, but once you're in, everything costs tickets, and those tickets are not cheap. Like, if you want to ice skate at 
Winterland this year. And and look, it is cool. They've got a huge ice skating rink. It is literally on the outfield. It's great. And my like five-year-old cub self would have been over the moon to hang out at Winterland and ice skate on the field and ride this little train around the infield and stuff. I'd have been begging my parents for every ticket under the sun. But a ticket is $4. You can get 10 of them for three or for $36. You can get 20 of them for $69. Like that is not cheap. And if you want to ice skate and you don't have ice skates of your own, so you're borrowing some from the Cubs, that's five tickets, right? Like that is, you know, $12 or so, depending on how many, uh, you know, how you bought your tickets or whatever, just to ice skate after the $5 you paid to get in. If you want to ride the Tilt-A-Whirl, it's $4. If you want to ride the teacups, it's $4. If you want to ride the train, it's $4. If you want to do the ice bumper rink thing, it's like $12, I think. I mean, what I'm tr- what I'm getting at here is the Winterland experience, unless you're just like walking around the Chris Kindle market and you don't pay, you don't buy anything, is not cheap. The The drinks are expensive, right? Like the little like Chris Kindle market thing cup that came, came with my like warm wine or whatever, which was good, by the way, it was great, was also like $13. Like it's, it, it is not a cheap experience over at the amusement park that is currently Wrigley Field. And at, it doesn't look to me like this team has a lot of intention to turn that revenue into players to make this team better. As people who've listened to this podcast know, I've written a couple of pieces this offseason already highlighting where the Cubs are at in terms of who they currently have and what they have lost and what they would need to compete at the level of, I just use Fangraph's war as a proxy to get um, to get back to competitive, but that's, that's an imperfect proxy. And people have told me that, uh, thank you all the Twitterers who come to me and explain that they don't like my methodology. So if you don't like my methodology, that's totally fine. Dan Zimbrowski over at Fangraphs has a different methodology as an entire projection system called zips. And he has a piece out that looks at where teams are right now. And the Cubs are sitting at 74 wins right now, according to zips, approximately 17 wins behind the 91 win Cardinals. And look, they need a shortstop, they need a catcher, they need a first baseman or a designated hitter, unless you think Matt Mervis could just come up and rake like he's been doing everywhere else. They need a center fielder or something in the outfield. They need a top of the rotation arm, and they probably need another pitcher as well, plus some bullpen help. That is not a cheap offseason, and they are getting priced out of that market right now. Like they were not, there was no way they were going to do three years and $58 million for Jose Abreu. There was no way they were going to do two years, 40 million, third year option, yada, yada for Anthony Rizzo. Like the next best first baseman on the market is Trey Mancini. And there's a reason the Astros went extra years and dollars for Abreu. They had Mancini on their team right now. They didn't extend him for a reason. So like, Ken, what is this team doing? It seems as if so many of the moves or non-moves are being made almost with the intention of kicking the can further down the road as to when we can actually expect them to make moves and contend it. And coincidentally also put pressure on Jed Hoyer to make those moves to lead, to lead them in the contention. And it, it, it almost feels like that Jed had kind of set in his mind that this is how my rebuild process is going to work. And I'm not going to deviate from it one iota. And that means he's going to first and foremost, build up that depth in the minor leagues, which he has to a certain extent, although that depth is also getting injured a whole lot as time has gone on. And then only when they kind of are on the cusp, like they were going from 2014 and 2015, that's when he feels most comfortable in making that intelligent spending and then probably splurging. Only we've entered a period of time with MLB free agency, which as we've discussed with Eflin 
being the latest example, and Abreu being the other example, that the only way you're going to land someone who's going to legitimately make you better is to make that splurge. Like every t- if the Tampa Bay Rays are going to go out there and throw crazy money at Zach Eflin, pretty much every team is prepared to do that at this point. So if you want to at least put yourself in the conversation that you're going to compete in the NL Central, which is very doable, by the way, especially because the Brewers are taking a clear step back this offseason. The Cardinals are your only competition. You have, again, as I said, room under the fake cap. <laughs> Do something. They're <laughs> printing money at the corner of Clark and Addison, and they're like, oh, sorry, we just, we're going we're gonna to spend intelligently. I want to dig into, into this a little bit more. You mentioned the Cardinals. There's a rumor uh, coming out of Spang- Spanish language uh, Twitter at the moment, which there's some excellent people you should follow. Um, if you don't already, Hector Gomez and some others that I follow that I, I look for for some of those rumors talking about how Wilson Contreras had a very uh, productive meeting with the St. Louis Cardinals. The Cardinals priority for the offseason is a catcher since they lost Yadier Molina. And can we just all admit that if Wilson Contreras goes to the Cardinals, he is going to become immediately the most epic cub killer of all time. He's going to revel in every single minute of it. The bat flips are going to be insane and we will all deserve that. Jed Hoyer (laughs) will deserve every single amount of grief that I give him for the next, however many years, Wilson Contreras is a Cardinal doing damage on the North side of Chicago. This didn't have to happen. We didn't have to be here. Yeah. Um, and I came across, uh, reading one of Ken Rosenthal's columns earlier this week, something that really, uh, clicked the Wilson Contreras anger in my head in terms of what they're doing with him. Uh, it was, I think on Tuesday's little notes column where he threw kind of in the middle of it, uh, this kind of just out of the blue quote, Ken Rosenthal catcher is such a weak offensive position in the majors. It seems almost inevitable. The athletics will get a strong return for Sean Murphy and the blue Jays will fare well if they trade one of their three catchers. And I'm old enough to remember being told like when the Cubs were clearly dangling Contreras for the first four months of last season, not to expect too much in return because he was such an offense first catcher. And there were so many defensive questions. So Either something's changed and what has changed or, and believe me, I I was as happy as you were to keep Contreras at the deadline, but considering the fact that they were clearly trying to move him, why weren't the Cubs able to get something of value for a catcher who's clearly better offensively than Sean Murphy? Well, that's a great question. I think there's a couple of things going on here. One, it sounds like the Astros were very interested in Wilson Contreras. There was apparently a deal for Wilson Contreras to go to Houston for the last two months of the season for Jose Urquidy straight up. Jose Urquidy, uh, for those of you who are not super familiar with the Astros rotation, is kind of like their Keegan Thompson, Justin Steele type, but like way better because they're the Astros and the Cubs are the Cubs. Um, and he has three, he had three years of control left um, at that point in time. So he would have made the Cubs, rot- I mean, like re- – ready-made starting pitcher for three years. That deal was actually vetoed by ownership. Like it was a deal that the front office had already been like, yeah, we'll do it. Um, Ownership and apparently Dusty Baker were like, no, 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 no. Um, And so, and there were reasons for that. Some of them actually had to do with, you know, protecting Wilson Contreras, who wasn't going to get to play as much in the Astros lineup as an, as a bat first catcher that Martin, they really love how Martin Maldonado works with that staff. The reason I bring this up is because the other team that Wilson Contreras is talking to heavily right now is the Houston Astros. There's rumors all over the place that he's going to meet with them 
at winter meetings. And this is what the Astros had to say about that. And I'm not quoting right now, but I think it was also from a Rosenthal piece. So like, forgive me if I butcher parts of this. They're interested in Wilson Contreras as a part-time catcher, full-time DH slash left fielder who can, who will play a better left field than Jordan Alvarez, which like obviously, and also Jordan Alvarez might be the greatest hitter in major league baseball right now. Like the best pure hitter on the planet. Why would the Cubs not be interested in seeing what Wilson Contreras can do at first, what Wilson Contreras can do in left, what Wilson Contreras, they need a DH. We're sitting here talking about how, you know, even if Mervis comes up and rakes, they don't have a designated hitter. The fourth best designated hitter with at least 450 plate appearances last year in MLB was Wilson Contreras. Like, Mm -hmm. I do not understand why the Astros understand the value of this and the Cardinals understand the value of this and the Cubs are like, no, we're going to. We're going to see if we can intelligent spend somewhere with Christian Vasquez. And and by the way, like every given everything I know about what Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins mean when they say intelligent spending, I don't think they'll get Vasquez. I think Vasquez will probably exceed his market and it won't be considered intelligent by the Cubs front office. And they'll pass and we'll wind up with another year of Jan Gomes and PJ Higgins, which like, dear God. Yes. It's um, um yeah, in terms of, just earlier, just listed how many positions the Cubs are in need of having like an, even a league average bat at. And these are, you know, obviously key offensive positions, first base, left field, places, uh, well, left field is Ian Happ, but you, uh, DH. Or now you could trick. I'm right. hearing Ian Happ trade rumors. Right. I was on a roll Sorry. for a second there and I got Sorry, tripped up. Keep going. <laughs> um, so it, it's almost like, it's, it's almost like a pathology with them that they have to, they've decided that they, they're moving on from Wilson Contreras and nothing is going to change their mind at this point, even logic or need, which is kind of unfortunate when, again, you have so many positions you need to fill. In terms of uh, Vasquez, like even if they were to get him, our friend uh, Kevin McCaffrey from the Away Games podcast posted this on Twitter earlier today. And he his evaluation, like even if they were to get Vasquez, it would be a Decent signing. Like Vasquez has legit value, like occasional power, good defense. Like he does bring things to the table. Decent signing, but you would still be taking a definite big step back from where you were at that position from last year. So you then have to try to make up for that step back by signing other good players, presumably at the positions of need, which again goes back to you're going to have to intelligently spend your way into getting good players. At this point, the only only intelligent spending is the kind where you look at it and go, okay, that's an above average major league player at that position. Right. Absolutely. And so one of the things that, and, and look, they might get Vasquez. I like Vasquez a lot. I watch a lot of Red Sox games. He, he's great. He he is better than Jan Gomes and worse than Wilson Contreras. He's better at game call game planning than Wilson is, but not by like orders of magnitude. By Like, like he sat a lot in favor of Martin Maldonado uh hmm. when he was with the Astros he, he's fine like he he hits the ball fairly well and he's better than Jan and you know he's fine he's not Wilson Contreras uh the the thing that is killing me about this front office and and I want to get your take on you, you know you mentioned Nico Horner a minute ago one of the things that I am it seems constantly at odds with Cubs Twitter about is what is going to happen at the shortstop position. So the the word on the street, although it does seem to be breaking a little bit at the start of the off season was this idea that of course the Cubs are going after one of those big four shortstops. Like they are going to sign one of Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts, Dansby Swanson, or Trey Turner. As 
the offseason has progressed more as the rumors have started to heat up, as winter meetings have are, are getting started, as like people are having actual conversations, it really seems like the Cubs might be pretty far behind on those shortstops. So when you look at the metrics, Nico Horner was a better defender than all of those shortstops except Dansby Swanson. And it's and it's a lot more complicated than that, right? Because you have to look at not just outs above average or how how many fielding errors somebody had or anything like that. You also want to know like how good are they deep? How strong is their arm? And and so like Dansby had a lot of outs above average, but most of his outs above average were to his right, not his left, which kind of tells you something about his range. He doesn't have a bunch of outs above average from deep in the hole. He also has one of the weakest arms at shortstop in Major League Baseball, according to Baseball Savant and the arm speed metric. So why would you go sign somebody for seven years, $200 million, when you literally have a better shortstop in-house? And I understand all the reasons people believe that there should be, like one of these four shortstops should sign with the Cubs. And look, I want Carlos Correa to be a Cub as much as anybody else. I really think that this front office is much more likely to keep Nico at shortstop and do a two-year deal with Gene Segura. Hmm. That's, um, I, I don't know what they'd be hoping to accomplish if that were the case, because Gene Segura is a good contact bat. Uh, that's really kind of about it in terms of what he brings. And like, he's a slightly, I mean, he's a better madrigal. I'll, I'll say that for him. Uh, well, which, that's what they would accomplish. They would upgrade yeah. second base. Yeah, so I, I guess there's that. It's it's not exactly upgrading a second base into the, to the point where it's like, well, okay, these two positions are set for the next five years. Um, in terms of, I don't know if you saw, uh, John Heyman apparently tweeted out today that the Cubs are the favorites in his mind for Dansby Swanson now. I don't know. I mean, his mind is usually filled up with making excuses for racists like Josh Hader. So I, I guess when his uh, fevered brain occasionally finds time to think about baseball. He's decided the Cubs are the favorites for Swanson. I don't know what exactly that means or where he's drawing that from. But Swanson, to me, would be like among the four, just talking in terms of performance, like far and away, number four with uh, with a bullet. Um, Dansby Swanson has, over his career, in, in among seasons where he's had more than 270 plate appearances, he's had precisely one above average offensive season, and it was last year. So, and as you said, you went into his defensive question marks, shall we say. So unless he has like some bizarre Adrian Beltre gene that's going to kick in when he turns age 30 and suddenly become like that guy we saw last year for the next five or six years, I'm kind of staying away from him. I'm, I'm okay with staying away from him for that length of time. Um, my hot take is that I desperate, I would really, really like, I mean, in a world where the Cubs were going to spend on a shortstop this off season, I would really like Bogarts. I would really like um, Trey Turner. Uh, as a fan, I would just as soon not have to make the mental leap in my head of rooting for Carlos Correa. I'll do it. I'll figure out a way, believe me, but I... After the past two years of trading away or dumping in free agency, literally everybody that I liked from my favorite Cubs team of all time, replacing them as the face of the franchise with an unrepentant cheater, uh, I, I don't feel good about that. I'm sorry. And I know that might make me a bad, I guess, bad smart fan, but that that's that's the fan part of me. That's, that's the part of me that 
that still wants to consider the human side of the game. Uh, I might have hijacked the conversation a little bit into this topic, but I'm I just I can't feel good about Korea. I mean, I I do not have the same level of like animosity towards that Astros team that a lot of other people do. Uh, there are a couple of reasons for that. I understand why people feel that way about that Astros team. Oh, look, I have an Asterix shirt. It's great. I, I actually got the RotoWare shirt that says, like, the commissioner has made his report or whatever it is that Alex Bregman said at, like, Houston CubsCon. It's not CubsCon, obviously. It's like AstrosCon. I don't know mm-hmm. what they call it. Um, but that was his quote, and then RotoWare promptly turned it into a shirt. But it just, like, it's literally an Asterix, and, like, each spoke of the Asterix <laughs> says, the commissioner has made his report. It's, it's incredible. Nice. Um, totally here for trolling the Astros. And also... The Astros were not the only team with elaborate sign stealing stuff going on circa 2017, 2018. I mean, we know that the Red Sox had a thing going on. We know that the Yankees had a thing going on because part of the report is that the Astros sign stealing scandal came from Carlos Beltran after he was traded to the Astros. So like the, like he got his knowledge from the Yankees. But nobody wanted like the Yankees or the Red Sox to take the brunt of this deal. And and for the record, I don't think it's just those three teams either. There have been Brewers rumors. There have been other rumors. Like for those of you who remember, the Cubs bullpen used to dance whenever there were home runs. The reason they don't do that anymore is because there's a delayed feed in the bullpen now because they didn't want any players who were not physically on the field to have access to the live stream. And so that if you saw a dancing bullpen, it would be delayed because the bullpen feed is delayed. <laughs> like <laughs> that is a that is a casualty of the sign ceiling schedules. It's it's honestly appalling to me that the dancing bullpen got axed because yes. of the Astros sign ceiling schedule. So like, don't get we me wrong. Missed not- out, we missed out an opportunity to see Andrew Chafin's moves for a year and a half. And for real, that's and that's a tragedy, right? Like, yes. I am not defending the Astros here. I'm just saying there's a very real chance that there's probably like five or six other teams that the commissioner did not want to write up. And so the Astros took one for the team. And, like, I also think that it's it's bonkers to me that the only person who seems to have any lasting damage from the sign-stealing scandal is Carlos Beltran. Like, everybody else has been – they served their suspension. They were rehired. They preemptively were suspended. They were rehired. Like, Alex Cora has a job. A.J. Hinch has a job. Like, I'm not entirely sure why Joe Espada hasn't been named a manager yet. Maybe it has something to do with this. Maybe not. I don't know. But, like – yeah, he still has a job. He's not been fired or anything like that. Like Jose Altuve winning winning awards, like Carlos Correa getting big contracts. Like all of these dudes are totally 100% and completely fine, except Carlos Beltran, who apparently has to wear this for the rest of his life for mm-hmm. hashtag reasons. And I find that sort of appalling because like, really, he was not the one, y'all. Like there were other people doing the thing. So I'm okay. Kind amnesty is a bad word it's not like i want to give blanket amnesty for the sign stealing stuff but i am willing to let bygones be bygones on the korea front mainly because his bat is so much better than any of the other bats that currently exist in this market except for maybe turner maybe bogarts but bogarts won't stick bogarts won't stick it short Mm -hmm. turner won't stick it short turner could at least play center for you probably korea has the best arm (laughs) at short, the highest injury risk and the best bat, in my opinion. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the injury risk, I think, is an underplayed factor, honestly. It's, if you look at, it's the biggest thing that cuts into his year-to-year war, that when he has seasons that where he misses a substantial period of time, that's, that's really the only thing that keeps him from being like a five or six war player just about every single year. 
but the fact it, it's happened often enough where you look at that and go, you're not going to get a guaranteed five or six war from signing him just because of that. Uh, and that's that's certainly something to take into consideration in addition to everything else. And yeah, it, it's, I, and I do feel weird like you do that it's, it is very strange that Carlos Beltran is the one that wears it the most. And just kind of spitballing off the top of my head, I almost wonder if it's because he was so respected in the game for so many years up until that point that it's almost like a reaction to that of, oh, we elevated you to this level where you were one of the most respected elder statesmen in baseball, and this is how you chose to use that influence. Well, okay, now we're just going to hold this grudge against you for God knows how long. Um, I think in terms of Correa... He was the one who owned it the most in terms of not mealy-mouthing it the way Alex Bregman did in that press conference or uh, or Jose Altuve pretending that he was too shy to show everybody his new tattoo or whatever. Um, And, you know, to a certain extent, you know, that's kind of admirable that, you know, he was the most honest of the Astros in the wake of the sign-stealing scandal. But being the most honest in terms of deciding to be the biggest heel about it also means I kind of don't want to cheer for you if I don't have to. Yeah, I hear that. We are coming up against a quick break for our sponsors, but we'll have more on the shortstop situation. We will also do a look at some of the other possibilities for Cubs free agent signings, you know, like if Jed and Carter Hawkins decide to actually <laughs> spend money this winter, which which is not a guarantee. Uh, but first, a quick break for our sponsors. So back to the shortstop situation for one quick second. I, I hear you on the Correa concerns. I'm definitely with you on the injury concerns. I mean, honestly, when I look at the fan graphs pages for all of these guys, the dude I want is Trey Turner. It is not particularly close for me. I think he's the best all-around baseball player. I think he is a guy who, when he is no longer able to be your shortstop, he becomes your center fielder or your second baseman real easily, and his skill set will age incredibly. I don't think I realized until I just pulled up his page a little while ago, like his last two seasons are a 6.8 war season and a 6.3 war season. And his 2020 season, which again, you have to like multiply by 2.7 or whatever was a 2.7 war season. So that's like right in that same ballpark of like six ish war for three years in a row, which yes, please sign me up. Yes. I am just nervous because I think that deal is rumored to be like a seven, eight year, $300 million deal. And I just cannot imagine. I want to live in a world where the Cubs will make a deal like that. Mm-hmm. And Ken, I'm not sure that we do. Would the Cubs pony up for a guy who puts up six to seven war every single year, like clockwork, like Trey Turner? Right now, I I don't see it either. Uh, again, because it doesn't quite fit in with the timeline Jed has decided to impose on himself. And uh, it also, <laughs> it would be difficult to see him talking about how this fits into his his intelligent spending, I guess, rubric, for lack of a better word. But uh, in terms of what Turner brings to you, uh, everything you said is definitely the case. And also, it's worth mentioning that you'd be bringing him in in a year where we were, are now limiting pickoff tosses to first to two per plate appearance. We are now shortening the distance between bases by making the bases slightly bigger. Also bringing him onto a team managed by David Ross, who, as we remember from last year, would get real damn aggressive every now and again because he knew that he had to kind of take extra bases wherever he had an opportunity to with the lack of firepower on this team. So all those together, I mean, that's the kind of guy that the Cubs should absolutely be targeting. I kind of wonder, too, in terms of you mentioning the, the numbers that it would take to bring him in. 
that are they still gun shy because of what the Jason Hayward contract meant to them? I, I would hate that to be the case, but it's, I mean, every indication other than a couple of years of the U Darvish contract, every indication is they've refused to go anywhere close to that because it burned them so badly, even though What's, they won a world series with them. Well, right. Well, this is, this is like, I don't know, like you can, okay. I will admit that the Jason Hayward deal was not a great deal. And also the John Lester deal was a great deal. That was a long contract. That was great. The U Darvish deal looks like it was a pretty good deal. Uh, That was a long contract. It was great. Like I know he was rough in the first year and then put up Cy Young season from the second half of 2019 into 2020 before Jed Hoyer decided to turn him into a bunch of lottery tickets. I, (laughs) I mean, I, that looks like a pretty good deal to me. The Ben Zobris deal was three years, 50 some odd million dollars. That seems like a yep. great deal. The only reason that didn't end in like a, another parade is because of drama in his marriage. Like I really think that singling out the Jason Hayward deal is like the one reason the Cubs will not spend is, is a mistake on this front office's part. Like, yes, some free agent deals hit some free agent deals. Don't there's nothing structurally unsound about the Jason Hayward deal. What happened with Jason Hayward, in my opinion, is the Cubs tried to change his swing. Mm-hmm. And they did yes. a terrible job of that process, which incidentally brings us to another free agent rumor that is hot to trot in Cubs Twitter these days. Cody Bellinger, who put up a MVP season in his 22 or 23-year-old season, like everybody thought he was a Hall of Fame trajectory type of candidate, and then through injuries has honestly been one of the worst hitters in baseball for the last couple of seasons. I do not understand why so many people believe a Cubs team that rotates through hitting coaches like it is the defense of the dark arts position (laughs) is going to do a better job of fixing Cody Bellinger's swing than the literal Dodgers who are are much better at baseball than anything the Cubs have done in the last five years. Riddle me this, Ken. What is, like, honestly, like, you're going to take a flyer on Cody Bellinger and pray that you're hitting coach number seven in eight years is going to fix it? (laughs) What are you doing? Uh, First off, I think that if you buy six tickets at Winterland, you get to be the Cubs' next hitting coach for next year. So that's exciting. (laughs) I think that um, a lot of the fans who are excited about Cody Bellinger, and I might be projecting something here that might not be there, but this this is just my sense of it, are the ones who have kind of, gotten used to the idea that they won't be doing more than intelligent spending this off season. And so Bellinger is the kind of guy who had, has had years in the past that are incredible, like the MVP year and a couple years surrounding that. And a lot of guys, people who have bought into Jed's idea of not going for the biggest fish in the market. That's the kind of guy who you would get excited about. Somebody who has performed at that level in the past, but hasn't in a couple of years and would then prove the genius of Dear Leader if they fixed him and put him out there and he suddenly turned into the Cody Bellinger from 2019. So I think it's like a certain type of fan who's kind of bought into intelligence spending and the Jed's League whole phenomenon that really wants Cody Bellinger on the team and wants him to succeed because they think that that's the best they can do. And that's kind of sad. The Jets League thing is something we need to talk about for sure. And and look, if you're a long-term listener of this podcast, you've heard Danny and I talk about this before, but Ken is better at this than just about anyone I know. And and one of the things that I, I have observed in the last few weeks, months, couple years, however much time I've spent on this baseball team, and dear God, 
past me, little four-year-old me, could you have fallen in love with a team that might have brought you just a tiny bit less grief? Like, what were you thinking, <laughs> child? But <laughs> I, the more I watch this front office, the more I believe that they are, they want to appear to be baseball smart yes. more than they want to win literal baseball games. You know, I everybody who listens to this podcast knows my day job is in debate. I'm an old debate coach. I have coached nationally competitive teams for years, and I currently work for a nonprofit working on programming uh, to make sure there's debate programs in public high schools. And there's a saying in debate where you say, you, would you rather win pretty or lose ugly? Or no, win, win ugly or lose pretty. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I would always rather win ugly. Right. Like, I mean, I I don't mean that in like a cheating sense or anything like that. Obviously, like ethics matter. But like if you you make a silly argument and the other team doesn't answer it and you capitalize on it and you win. Yeah, the judges might be angry at you for winning on an argument they didn't like. And frankly, that's better than losing the round pretty. Um, I feel like this Cubs team is currently in a situation where the front office would rather lose pretty than win ugly. And as a fan who pays a lot of money to go see this team play and who lives in the neighborhood and sees the difference between the winning years and the losing years. I just want this team to win. I don't care if you win with like the smartest contract under the sun. I don't care if you had like a fancy opt out that got you out of the thing later and you dirt or dirt or dirt your way to like not getting blah, blah, blah with the contract getting hung around your neck, like an albatross or what. I, I really don't care. I want you to win, win baseball games, go out, get baseball players who make the team better and win the games. That's it. Like, I I don't care how you do it. I don't care if it's a lot of strikeouts. I don't care if it's contact pitching. I don't care what it is. Like, hit ball, win games. Yeah, I referred earlier to the way that Jed and the front office have gotten rid of so many of the 2016 core as a pathology. And I really do think that that's a good way to describe it. That It's the only possible explanation I can think of for, like, the idea of just jettisoning literally every single one of, in many ins- instances, these still great players. And as you saw in this past postseason, great players who are capable of leading their teams to incredible feats, as Rizzo and Schwarber both showed us. I think that Jed, the only achievements he's had in baseball to this point have been under Theo Epstein with the Red Sox of 2004 through the mid-2010s and then with the Cubs, obviously. Uh, His brief time in San Diego, I think it's best noted for the fact that he got Anthony Rizzo there so he could then get him for the Cubs, which, I I mean, work of genius, well done there. Hat is off to you, sir. That's well played. Uh, But there's really not a whole lot to write home about in terms of Jed on his own. And I think he really feels that to a certain extent. Now, I also, and this is, I think, the most amount of hope I can give you for this, uh, that because he's operating in such a diametrically opposed to Theo Epstein way, I do also think that because Theo was so honest and open and upfront about what his intentions were pretty much every year, he would tell you what he wanted to do and occasionally be prevented by ownership from doing it, but that's neither here nor there. But you would know what the Cubs, you would knew the Cubs were going after John Lester. You knew the Cubs were entering into the Jason Hayward sweepstakes. You knew they were going after contact when they got Zobrist, guys like that. I think the Jed front office, one of the things that distinguishes it is that it's as tight-lipped as I can ever remember any Cubs front office. Like, you don't hear a damn thing about it. There is not a word in any of the Rosenthal, hey, this is what, what I'm thinking columns about the Cubs front office. So 
perhaps, perhaps, if they have something big planned, they are just not going to tell anyone and then surprise us all. Like that's the best I can give you in terms of hope. But that's that could be a reasonable explanation for what's going on here. It, it's within the bounds of reality. Do I think that's going to happen? Listen to the past 35 minutes of this podcast to tell you that answer. But it is conceivable. So in terms of operating in, in the exact opposite of his pre predecessor, I think I'll... To, to answer your question earlier about uh, the kind of smart baseball and what that means, everything the Cubs have done to this point is kind of in service of the idea of people who get to tell you, no, you don't under understand. What they're actually doing is, hey, have you ever been mansplained on Twitter about baseball, Sarah? Has that happened recently <laughs> to you? Recently, no, actually, but there's a really great reason for that. And I'll, I'll, maybe I'll end the podcast with that. Um, we'll mm -hmm. talk about that on the flip side. No, I actually love what you said about Jed trying to like crawl out from the Theo shadow and look all of us have been there like you want to make your own name you're doing your thing like you've worked with a great boss or somebody whatever and you like have to do your own thing and I get that that's like a real that's a real motivating factor it's a real way that you change things and it is true god it is so true the Theo years were so transparent the Hoyer years are so opaque but I think the thing that worries me more than anything about this is I hear two things coming out of the articles that I read. Look, I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking to like special people or anything like that. These are not like, these are not like front office rumors or anything. I'm reading the same stuff you all are. I'm just reading it as critically as I possibly can. One, you look at all of the Ken Rosenthal notes pieces right now, control F for Cubs people. Like they are not in the pieces. If they're in the pieces, they're like rumored to be in on a guy like the Marlins and Rays, which like, look. <laughs> Until today, when the Rays started signing guys, like that is not exactly company that you want to be in unless your game is, we're going to flip some guys and every time they turn 28, we're going to turn them into new prospects. It's going to be great. Um, so that's not the Cubs team that I want to cheer for. I don't want to cheer for the Rays. I want to cheer for a team that signs Ryan Sandberg to the, at the time, biggest extension in the history of the franchise. I want to cheer for a team yes. that tries, fails miserably, but tries to sign Greg Maddox. I, I want to cheer for a team that signs the guys. I want... Aramis Ramirez on the team for a really long time. And I want to cheer for him. I want, I want Alfonso Soriano on the team, even though it's not working out because I like Alfonso Soriano and cheering for him makes my life better. Yeah. I, I understand that there is a strategic benefit to negotiating from a position of opacity. And also you have to be willing to pull the trigger on a deal at some point in time. Yes. You cannot run the Chicago Cubs which is the biggest baseball franchise and the third largest media market in the country, like you're running the Cleveland Guardians. I'm sorry, Carter Hawkins, you cannot. Like, that will not fly here. The Guardians extended Jose Ramirez. Extend a player. <laughs> yes. Extend a Have a player who loves you and your franchise so much that they will take, they will take the deal that you offer them and want to stay. You, Wilson Contreras practically begged this front office to mm -hmm. extend him. All he wanted was a reasonable deal. And I'm fairly certain that could have been done. Anthony Rizzo did the same thing. And instead they lowballed him. That mm -hmm. is not a team that I want to cheer for, right? Like that is, that is so far gone <laughs> from where I want to be as a fan. Anthony Rizzo should have been a cup for life with a statue right next to Fergie Jenkins someday. And I am appalled that that didn't happen. And that the Yankees are lit, like the Yankees are over there like, oh my God, Anthony Rizzo just transformed our whole team culture into a team of winning. Yes, yes, he did. You know, you know why? Because the Cubs let him go. 
after insulting him. Yeah, and uh, Anthony Rizzo, I think if the rumors from one of the beat reporters are true, told the Cubs that if the ship is sinking, I want to go down with the ship. How many like legendary players of that of that caliber are willing to say that to the team that that they're trying to negotiate with? Under undercutting yourself in negotiating, just saying, just give me something that I think is fair after I signed a team friendly deal to get you the World Series. Uh, also about Anthony Rizzo, and this reminded me of something I I didn't realize it until I heard it on uh, a couple podcasts, like Away Games talked about it this week. Uh, one of the players they got for Rizzo, uh, Vizcaino, I think, got released because he just didn't show up this year. He disappeared. Yeah. So, like, even if you're looking at it from the sense of making a trade of a guy who might be entering a decline phase, which he's not, uh, to restock the minor leagues, hey, guess what? Kevin Alcantara better be the next coming of Willie Mays because that's all you got from that trade. One of the, the, the most important Cub of the most important Cubs team of our lifetime traded for a guy who just said, I don't feel like showing up anymore. Yeah, I, you know, let's, let's talk about uh, the farm system for a second, because the other thing that I really think we need to, we need to level set with people on. I spent some time over while I was looking uh, at some Wilson Contreras research, actually, for the the Wilson Contreras tribute piece that I wrote. I actually wrote it at the trade deadline. I obviously updated it um, once he rejected the qualifying offer. But it's frankly one of my favorite and saddest things that I've ever written in my life. I shed a lot of tears while I was working on that piece. He is my all-time favorite Cub. Uh, He surpassed Ryan Sandberg for me at some point during the last couple of years. And one of those guys is in the hall of fame and one of them is not going to the hall of fame. And I don't care. Wilson Contreras is my favorite cup. Um, it was a great piece, by the way. It's, it's the kind of thing that I read and thought Wilson deserves to have a fan like you. Thank you very much. Somebody in on the comment section actually said they hoped he saw it and that he printed it out and put it in his trophy room. And I, yeah. that was about the highest praise that I could possibly imagine. Um, but the, the reason I bring this up is in order to write that piece, one of the things I wanted to look at was the prospect lists from 2014, 2015, 2016, and where Wilson Contreras was on those prospects lists, because he, he frankly wasn't on anybody's radar. He was not unprotected in the 2015 Rule 5 draft. It's, it's sort of a classic case of like the Cubs not having any idea what they had. Uh, when they called this kid up in June of 2016. Um, And one of the things that jumps out at you as you look at those old prospect lists is how loaded the Cubs system was. Uh, Wilson Contreras is is a footnote, an afterthought in the others of note section, like just hanging out in the back end of these prospect lists that are stacked with guys like Chris Bryant, 65 grade prospect. You got Jorge Soler, 60 grade power. You got Albert Almora Jr. can't miss first round draft pick. Like you got the whole list. Like Justin Steele is ranked above Wilson Contreras. Guys who never made it to the big leagues are ranked above Wilson Contreras. And all of them, not all of them, but like six or seven of them are in the 50 plus range in terms of prospects. And and we've talked about this on the show before, but like if you if you know anything about future value grades. 45 is like you're probably kind of a utility player who can come up and stick on a big league squad, but you might have a three or four year career and you might not ever have a position to call your own. 50 is you're getting to be like a everyday major leaguer. 55 is like a regular starter on a major league team. 60 is like you're an all-star. 65 plus is you're talking potential Hall of Fame category here. It's very, very rare. The Cubs system was stacked with 50 plus value players. 
The Cubs system is not currently stacked with 50 plus value players. The Cubs system is currently stacked with 40 plus value players. They are stacked with guys who can role play and they keep picking up guys who can role play. Like most of the moves that the Cubs have made this offseason, Mastroboni, this belt. I don't even remember the guy, Ryan, Bella, Ryan, something that starts with a B. I can't remember it. Maybe Ken can like, just like they just keep adding Zach McKinstry's. They're like <laughs> Zach McKinstry over and over. Zach McKinstry one, Zach McKinstry two, Zach McKinstry three. You already have talented players in your system who are better than Zach McKinstry. Christopher Morrell, for example, I would like to see a full season of Christopher Morrell getting 550 plate appearances so that he we can see if he can hit a breaking ball and hit an off-speed pitch. Because if he can, he has way more upside than anything Zach McKinstry or Mastroboni or this Ryan dude, who I can't even remember his last name, has ever shown at any level of anything. He is a 23-year-old with 20-20 potential, elite max exit velocity, and elite sprint speed. And that dude should get a lot of plate appearances next year. And if he loses those plate appearances to like some rando quad A player that you picked up for hashtag reasons, I am not going to be a very happy fan. The farm system is not what the farm system was in 2014. Brennan Davis is not Chris Bryant. Neither is Pete Crow Armstrong, people. And, and if you think that what happened in 2014 and 2015 were not only did all of those players hit, not only did all of those players come up to the major leagues and contribute, they were healthy enough to do it for two seasons, two and a half seasons, really, and put the Cubs in a couple of championship races. I, I have news for you. Like, that is not a normal state of affairs. It will never, that is, that is an uncanny, impossible confluence of events. And if that's what Hoyer and Hawkins are waiting for, they are going to be waiting a very long time. And it will be a long time before we see the commissioner's trophy hoisted at the corner of Clark and Addison again. Yeah, the Cubs have undoubtedly improved the depth of the farm, of the farm system. Like that is the one thing you have to give Jed is that it is deeper than it was before. Uh, I could quote an ice cube line here, but then I think Al would get upset with all of us and the podcast would be <laughs> off the air. So I'm not, uh, but you know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, in terms of like the highest end prospects, there are none, like not even the sainted P. Crow Armstrong, as you said, does not come close to the levels of, of the kind of scouting reports that are being filed for Chris Bryant, certainly, or even, even Rizzo. Kyle Schwarber, who was non-tendered. Yeah. The Cubs got nothing for Kyle Schwarber. They non-tendered him over $1.5 million as he goes and leads Boston to the championship series and the Phillies to the world series like that. Sorry, Ken, I don't mean to cut you off, but like oh, the fine. Schwarber, the Schwarber non-tender is going to be like, I'm going to go to my grave with anxiety and angst about that. The Schwarber non-tender is the closest thing that Jed has to a Greg Maddox in terms of that's the legacy that he's going to leave here. Uh, and it's appropriate, unfortunately. And um, so what a functioning team would do, and especially a functioning big market team, as we've been saying all along for the past going on almost an hour at this point, I think, is that if you're going to build up this incredible minor league depth and have that be the strength of your minor league system, but don't have the top end players, hey, turns out there's a place you can go to get top end players to complement that depth so that when Pete Armstrong ascends, Pete Crow Armstrong ascends, or when Brennan Davis finally becomes healthy enough to contribute every day at the big league level, you then have a superstar or two in place to be like, okay, this gives us now a lengthened lineup that you, with like a legit, like badass middle of the order, like that's the thing that contenders are made of. So you can prepare right now for when that depth arrives. Uh, ahead of, it's, it's what the Tigers did back in 2006, if you remember, um, 
when they signed Ivan Rodriguez. And everyone thought, oh my God, they're, just a few years ago, they lost 119 games. What, what He must be wasting his time there going for the money. And it turned out they knew what they had coming up. They knew that Justin Verlander was about to come up and make an impact. So let's bring in the guy who can be a game changer now so that when this core of young players arrives, they'll have someone to look up to and someone to be the focal point of the middle of that order and someone to lead that locker room. Like <laughs> nothing bad could happen from signing, well, not nothing bad could happen, but a lot of good things can happen, let's say, from signing a really great player right now, even if it doesn't fit into your rebuild schedule. Absolutely. I mean, I, Ken, I couldn't have said it better myself. So we'll, we'll just leave it at that right now and pray that somebody over at the corner of Clark and Addison is listening and, and resetting their expectations here. It is going to be a travesty. If this team basically rolls out the same people and like the big free, big free agent signings we get are like, Honestly, and, and this is no shade. I think Senga's a really great potential free agent signing. So, like, I want Senga to come here. But, like, if this team rolls out Senga and Gene Segura, it is functionally the same offseason as last year, and Cubs fans should be furious. Mm-hmm. Furious. Like, if yeah. you don't get a Christian Vasquez plus a Trey Turner slash Carlos Correa slash Xander Bogart, like, something instead of, yeah, it's Senga, Segura, backup catcher. I don't know, man. That's that's not going to do it for me. Yeah. All I want is just a reason to get excited about next year. You don't have to make the leap into instant contention immediately. Just give me that hope of thinking, okay, if things break right, this is going to be a fun team to watch. When Let me put this to you. When was the last time the Cubs going into a year were more fun than the previous year? When was the last time that the Cubs were more more fun. It's a very objective measure. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but uh, uh, 2015 or 2016. I mean, yep. I the, the 2014 team actually. So 2014 is when I moved to Chicago. At the I I remember driving up Lakeshore Drive to my new apartment in late August, um, right before I was about to start a job at a, at a new school. And I I, I remember getting uh, one of, one of the most uncanny things that has ever happened to me in my life. Sorry for the, I, I think I've told this story on the podcast before. So if it's a re- repeat for people, you're going to hear it one more time. I, I moved into my little apartment in Nevinston and I, I, it was on like a Saturday. So I couldn't get the, I had one of those pods, like those moving pods that had shipped my stuff across the country and I couldn't get to it until Monday. So I went to this, like, like called the firehouse tavern in Evanston. It was just walking distance. Mm. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm eating here uh, since I have no, no pots, no pans, no way to cook anything (laughs) um, at my new place. And I was sitting there. I I met some people. One of the guys that was at the bar happened to be a Cubs season ticket holder. And I told him I'd been a Cubs fan my whole life and that I had just moved into the neighborhood. And he's like, well, I've got some games available. Pick, pick the seats that you want. I'm like, are you serious? Like, yeah, it's like bleacher seats. Trust me. The team's bad. Like, they're just going to go to waste, like pick a day. And so I picked a day and he gave me two tickets. Um, and I, I went to a Cubs Brewers game on Labor Day weekend with a former student of mine. Uh, and we had a blast. We had, we had a great time watching this game and the Cubs blew out the Brewers. It was wild. Actually, the Brewers fans were even heckling Ryan Braun by the end of it because they were so mad about the score. The Brewers were competitive that year. The Cubs were not. Jorge Soler was batting like 500 at the time. I, I can't remember if Javier Baez was in the lineup or not that day. I'd have to go back and look at my scorecard to be sure. But I just had this feeling of, oh, the future is bright. The future is bright. And, and in 2015, 
the first full year that I lived in Chicago, the future was indeed incredibly bright. The future is not bright right now, people. This is not 2015. I this feels a lot more like 2013, 2012 to me, maybe 2014. They would have to do a lot for it to hit that 2015 vibe. And I should trust them too. Yeah. Yeah, and you, to me you don't even have to hit that 2015. Just make it so that it's I get that sense that it's more enjoyable to watch the It shouldn't be hard to be more fun to watch the Cubs than last year. Last year was not a fun year. Uh but in order to to believe in that, we just have to see you do something. Which, like, how's that for baseball analysis? Do something, Jed. Do something. We are we are officially the Pope Jed Hoyer with stick <laughs> meme uh, on this podcast. Ken, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an outstanding show. Uh, this is basically what it sounds like every time Ken and I go to a Cubs game together, and we we do that frequently throughout the regular season. Ken, what are you working on at the moment? And where can people find you and your work? Uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram at at Ken Thin Guy. I lurk on Twitter still at at Ken Schultz underscore. And I am currently about to embark on a piece for Outsports about the Stanford band upsetting BYU by staging a uh, two women getting married ceremony during the halftime of a football game there. So that's that should be fun. I'm I am all for upsetting BYU. I mean, yes. I, I grew up an hour away from that campus and I've, I've been upsetting BYU my entire life. Shout out to BYU incidentally for turning me into a Notre Dame fan. <laughs> Cause I, I have no affiliation with Notre Dame. Like I never went there. I mean, I, I, but BYU and Notre Dame played like three games against each other when I was a kid and BYU marketed those games as a holy war and Armageddon. Yes. That was the marketing campaign from the Mormons in the state of Utah. And I am a Catholic kid who grew up in Utah. So I was like, well, I am a Notre Dame fan, obviously. Uh, so for everyone who has ever wondered why I am both a Notre Dame fan and a Utah fan, which is where I went to school, uh, that is why. Because it turns out if you market something as a holy war to a bunch of kids, Catholics are going to be on that real fast. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ken, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I hope for the sake of both of us and our and our tickets next year that we are wrong and Hoyering is actually great and Trey Turner is inches away from signing with the Cubs and so is Christian Vasquez, but I have a hunch we're not. We will find out. Uh, and if and if anybody signs with the Cubs who is not a quad A replacement level player, you will hear about it here on Cup of Cubby Blue. Until next time.